Blog Talk Radio. Eastern, number one to the sun. We all recognize that beautiful, beautiful music as performed by the New York Symphonic Orchestra and conducted by Andre Castellanitz. Uh, today, we have canceled our radio show program, which was uh, just uh, just chatting and a little bit of Eastern music and the reason for it to, to not be uh, broadcast is simply because here in St. Augustine, Florida, where our broadcast studio is, which is uh, looking, I'm looking at my computer board here, and and uh, we're provided this service by Blog Talk Radio, and we had a terrible electrical storm last night, and and our computers, my computer, has been cutting. Uh, 
off and back on and off and back on. So rather than get in a conversation and uh, talk about Eastern, which is our favorite subject, I just decided to make this introduction to uh, a few commercials. And, uh, and I see we've got one person on the line, and I think I know where this person is calling from. It must be, let's see, is that you, Bill? Yes, it is. Okay. Well, good that you're here, and and you and I could probably carry on a conversation for the rest of the hour, but uh, I'm not certain whether I'll make it through an hour because of the computer, and it's been cutting on and off, and we've had, uh, I mean, two and a half inches of rain fell last night, Bill. Two and a half inches of rain with lightning you would not believe, I mean probably in your worst thunderstorm flying the airplanes with Eastern. You've not seen as much as what happened here last night. Well, let's say the good part about it is the drought is over, right? (laughs) It it certainly is here, Bill. I don't know how it is up there in North Georgia where you are. Oh, it's uh, been rain, light rain off and on. It has been on a little bit of the rainy side, wet side, but we've had some decent days and everything. That reminds me of lightning. We were, <laughs> I was flying Copal in a DC-9 over New Jersey one night, going into uh, Philadelphia, I believe, and the, uh, I mean, I guess it was going into Newark. But anyway, we had the lightning strike, and it lit up the whole sky. And, Ooh. man, we put in the log book and checked our instruments, and our compasses were all looked good, and we landed up there, and maintenance came out and checked and went all over that airplane looking close as they could and they couldn't find a single thing wrong and they asked us how was our instruments and I say they all looked normal and they signed it off you know it's just one of those things it's hard to believe well you know I I have told this story a few times I guess in the last uh, ten and a half years we've been on the air but uh, I was landing, uh, I had been demoted back to a first officer because of curtailment of flying in Atlanta. And uh, so I was on the L-1011 as first officer, uh, four-striped four first officer. But uh, at any rate, Captain Gib Guerin was the captain that night. And it was my landing, and we were landing in uh, at LaGuardia. And it was a night nighttime landing, and thunderstorms were all over the area. And we were in the clouds, clouds making an ILS to number, uh, runway four and uh, in the 1011. And my flight, uh, Gib was looking outside to see where the runway lights, when they came on, when we broke out. I think the clouds were somewhere around four or 500 feet. You know, making the approach, uh, you, somebody's going to look out for the lights. And I was glued inside to the um, ILS, and we got a 
lightning strike on the nose of the 1011. And uh, it blinded Gibb temporarily. I mean, uh, looking at night out the window and lightning hitting you head on, right on the radome. And, uh, of course, I was inside uh, looking at the instrument. So we landed the airplane and and uh, looked at all the lights on the overhead that were all sorts of different configurations. I mean, amber and red and all sorts of different colors. But um, they did a, a truck uh, survey of the airplane, you know, one of these cherry pickers that usually put glycol on the airplanes and got up there and looked on the top and all. And it had blown out the back panel of the uh, elevators, the, hor uh, the horizontal stabilizer, not the elevators, but the horizontal stabilizer, blew a piece of skin off the airplane where the static or the electricity had uh, left the airplane so that was that was an interesting lightning strike but i see we're we're still doing okay we're still on the air right now and uh but anyhow yeah. lightning okay. lightning was beautiful last night it kept me awake my wife slept right on through it and uh, but i uh, looked at the rain gauge we keep two of them outside in the yard and both of them were indicating two and a half inches of rain. Oh, man. Yeah. So, boy, could they have used that in California, huh? <laughs> oh, boy, big time. Goodness. Yeah. Wow. Well, listen, you got another story you want to talk about? Since uh, so far, if we get knocked off, if it quits on us, we know what happened. Yeah, okay. Well, I got to tell you this one about airport security. Okay. We was had a trip on the Conway Airport 40 when I was with the Eastern about maybe eight months or something like that. Anyway, we had one night we had a trip through way across Georgia and made a stop in there on the way to Jacksonville at Old Anderson Airport to have for layover. Well, we landed in Waycross, Georgia, and we went up that terminal, and uh, which was, I guess they got an extra wide trailer or something like this, as we were the only ones flying into Waycross at that time. So we had a flight attendant put steps down, and, and the passengers got off, and then taxiing out of there, I had the radio tuned in to the company so that we could monitor. And, and then on the way out, uh, taxiing out to the runway, they got a call from the station and said, hey, wait a minute, flight uh, so-and-so, you have left a passenger here. He said, do you want me to bring him down there to the uh, to the uh Run a pad on a car, or do you want to ask you or what? And I asked the captain. He said, well, tell him we hadn't got that far. We'll just turn around and come back. Turn around and come back. And I looked up there in the lights, of the taxi lights of the airplane, and I told the captain, I said, you know, I don't believe this. And here comes the guy walking down the taxiway, to catch the airplane like we were some darned old bus. 
And so, but he had no very far. He he got out of the taxiway, got underneath a pine tree, and then we went around and and circled up there, and we shut down the left engine, had the flight attendants put the steps down, and got him on, and we took off. Now I would think that that may make the six o'clock news in the Atlanta station if that something like that had happened. Hard still. Yeah. Oh, golly. You know, you talking about the Convair, my Convair days, I started uh, in uh, early February of 63, and you, I think you started 63, too, somewhere around there. Well, and, it was January of 64. Well, that was a great airplane to fly, and we flew into some great little towns like Albany, Georgia, and Waycross, and, and, um, and I remember... Uh, flying uh, when I got on the 727 as a flight engineer and after I was on the Electra I moved up to the 727 and when we first got them in 64 or 5 I forgot when when it was I think it's 64 or 5 and um, yeah 64 and uh, we went into Imason Airport and you mentioned Imason here in Jacksonville and they had pre-boarded a, a, in handcuffs, a runaway girl from a, from a girl's uh, retaining center, I guess, or whatever you call them, prisons or whatever. And uh, they boarded her and uh, they took, they had her to sit down and, and the, the rest of the passengers hadn't boarded yet, but uh, they turned her back and she had opened up the door in the back and the rear steps were down I guess she noticed that when she got on the airplane <laughs> she opened that door and she ran down those steps and ran across the airport I, I don't know whether they found her to this day but, but that gal was gone oh, <laughs> oh man <laughs> that, that was a funny funny experience that happened on that airplane so you can't turn a, your back on someone that needs to be incarcerated. But uh, I'm going to play a song right here. Maybe we can think of a storm. I mean, a, a, a another uh, uh, few few stories here and stay on as long as we can. But I'm going to play this I'll, and see if you you remember this ad here. A couple of Eastern ads here. The airline that doesn't plan for the future may not have one. Five years ago, Eastern saw the future in a remarkable aircraft. Now it's here. The new Boeing 757, the most advanced, most fuel-efficient commercial jet ever built. It's going to help Eastern hold down the cost of flying for years to come. We earn our wings for you. And here's one more. Fly Eastern Airlines, Eastern Airlines. Fly Eastern. You'll love to travel by Eastern. Where new things are happening. Eastern. Fly Eastern Airlines. From the ground up. Traveling on Eastern's easier. From the ground up. Eastern service is speedier. Fly Eastern Airlines. And just one more that I really like. 
and I still have them. Uh, and uh, a bunch of different songs on there. And uh, surprisingly, I had stored them down there in the outbuilding and and in a plastic container for a number of years, I'd say about 10 years, and got them out the while back, and they're still in pretty good shape. They're probably worth something, you know, uh, antique collections. A lot of people collect those old vinyls. Yeah, they. I got so. I'd probably drive the price of the market down. I got so much uh, junk. That's what my <laughs> wife used to call it, junk. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We They'd call it junk tea. Yeah, they didn't understand our hoarding, uh, hoarding uh, of certain things, especially if it related to aviation or music or whatever. But uh, yeah. I agree with you. But anyhow, uh, that was a beautiful New York Philharmonic uh, Symphony Orchestra uh, led by Andre Kostelanitz doing that. And the introduction was, do you know who did the introduction to that record? Uh, yeah. I can't place it. Well, it was uh, Eastern's uh, lead announcer for most of all of their commercials back in Floyd Hall's day. And it was um, Alexander Scorby. And Scorby did oh, the yeah. announce, uh, announcing leading into the record, uh, the music itself. And Floyd Hall gave us a couple of items that I, I, I kept that vinyl. I still have it. And uh, he gave us also one year, don't know which year it was, that we had done so well there in Atlanta that, uh, do you remember the Parch Christmas card that he sent to all employees? I think system-wide. And um, hang on a second, I got a call here from somebody. I'm going to annoy it. I mean, uh, (laughs) avoid it. But at any rate, it was on Bark. Do you remember that? Uh, no, I can't quite remember. Did you yeah. have uh, the Eastern in January, uh, class of 64, and it sounded like you started way before I did in 63. Uh, I started, uh, yeah, February the 11th of 63. Yeah, that was way before my time. I was, I was still going through. Well, I was down in Miami, uh, going through Tamami Airport, uh, getting my instructors ready for Mary Gaffney's school down there. And my instructor was Phil Sybil, who was <laughs> an agent at the time with Eastern. And well, it- I got my training, and and I had just gotten out of the Air Force. About a year before. Well, let me tell you about Mary Gaffney. I um, I uh, instructed for Mary back in 1958 and 59, and uh, 58, 59, and then I went over to uh, Tercer at Opelika. He he stole me away from Mary and and made me a chief pilot. 
our flight instructor rather, and uh, we got the Eastern contract to train the engineers. But at any rate, speaking to Phil Sybil, uh, he was one of my students, got him, he was with United, and Jim Duncan was with United also. And they had gotten hired or were, was about to go into class, uh, but uh, they had to get their ratings and so I instructed Phil and Jim Duncan for their commercial and instrument ratings. And lo and behold, when I was hired, who was in my class senior to me? Phil Sybil. <laughs> so oh. Phil Sybil was uh, in, 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 uh, in my class. I think Phil recently passed away. I'm not sure, but I think I saw that yeah, when I Jim Holder. Yeah, yeah. But... Uh, at any rate, Mary Gaffney, of course, passed away last year or the year before. I'm not sure which one. I remember getting someone sending me the fact that she had passed away, and I looked at her obituary, and quite interesting. And and um, I still would like to see if I could get her into the Florida Aviation Hall of Fame because she's very deserving of that, having taught so many students over the years at uh, Kendall Flying School and then down at the new Tamiami. Yeah. But uh, I remember it well. Yeah, it's, uh, well, where did you first cut your teeth in aviation? Well, since you asked, Browns Airport over at the Parrot Jungle off of US-1. Down by yeah. Kendall, yeah, by Kendall, and Brown's uh, Brown's Flying School, or as it was called, uh, I forgot Cap. Cap uh, I want to call him Cap, but anyhow, it was named after the owner, and it was a grass strip right beside the Parrot Jungle. So when you took off and made your crosswind turn out, staying in the pattern, and you came on the downwind to come back around and land, you pass right right over the middle of the parrot jungle. I can still it's see it vividly. Yeah, still see it to this day. And um, so it's a grass strip. It's kind of like a country club, beautiful little airport. And Mary Gaffney was working for uh, Brown. And that's where I met Mary the first uh, first time, and that was back in 1954 in high school. I was graduating in 54, and um, Johnny Dreyer, a student that was a class ahead of me uh, had his father was a Pan American captain and bought him an airplane and he became commercial pilot and flight instructor rating and and uh, I asked him I said uh, Johnny I wonder if you could teach me to fly and so he said yeah he said you rent the airplane and I'll teach you he had just gotten his instructor rating and we went down to Browns Airport and that's where I soloed and um, in the Piper Cub at Browns Airport. Well, I'll be daggone. Well, you didn't pull a, a tour of duty in the military? Air Force, but it was a reserve. And guess where? Uh, I was based right there in Miami International Airport. And on top of that, I didn't discover that the commanding officer of the 435th Troop Carrier Wing, which I was a member of, was none other than Captain J.B. John McBride. 
J.D. McBride. Do you remember John McBride? Big old John, big uh, John? I can't quite remember that. Well, but, he, looked yeah, like got, ha- he looked like Haas on Bonanza. <laughs> well, I've got a long story, but I got started in aviation. After well, I how, got, how long is it? <laughs> well, I got uh, two years of college, and then it wasn't uh, too pleasant. Uh, my parents couldn't afford to send me to college. I should never have gone in there. And I got hungry <clears throat> many uh, weekends, and I only ate one or two meals. Then I I just, uh, I, I had enough. And so then I got out, went into the uh, aviation cadets. Oh. And, and so finally, I went through all the rigmaroles and everything. And I went up there to Raleigh and took the, uh, the test for the aviation cadets. And it was about 30 or 40 of us in the class there. And the sergeants later on that day, after it was an all-day test, he said, Candy, he said, you're the only one that passed. Oh, my God. So then about two, uh, about two, about three months later, they got about 10 of us and sent us down to Shaw Air Force Base Scout. It's a free bus ticket. Okay. And, and we're down to Shaw, and with 10 of us, five of us passed. And then they, uh, and they had one slot for pilots and, and four for navigators. And I scored pretty high on my navigator section. And so they put me in a navigator's uh, squadron. And then about a couple of months or three later, they sent me down to Lackland Air Force Base. And that was a very rude awakening, I tell you what, right now. And I made a mistake of putting down my, I was trying to be as honest as I could that I had time of trouble while I was in college. And then, so after I was in cadets, I was almost through pre-flight. And and I had to go to the flight surgeon because I had a cold. And that in mind, uh, they decided to take me out of the cadets. So out of the cadets, then I go, and then they went to the processing. And they said, you can stay in the Air Force if you want to, uh, but you'll have to choose whatever course uh, this is available. They say, now, first of all, intelligence uh, services is closed. And so they had an opening that had a bunch of uh, mechanics. And one of them was mechanics on the B-52 KC-135. And mm-hmm. so I chose that one. And they took me out of a cadet program. Of course, I got, I had to go to report to this uh, building. 
and I went in there, and this wife uh, lady, she was a captain, and she was so consoling. She says, she says, I'm sorry, but they have taken you out of the cadet program. And I said, well, okay. And so I went and got my stuff out of the out of the uh, the barracks, and then I went back, and then. I went to school on the B-52 D-Mall, and some on the KC-135, they mentioned that, but it's mostly the B-52 D-Mall, and that was a very intensive course up there in, in uh, Chinook Air Force Base in Rantoul, Illinois. Then I went from, we went from there to Fairchild Air Force Base out there in Spokane, Washington. And while I was out there, uh, and they, we would go to school for a half a day and then work the flight line for a half a day. And then we would uh, found out they had the Snack Arrow Club out there. And there's a guy that, that I made friends with there in the barracks that he said... <clears throat> He was in the Sac Arrow Club, so I said, well, let's see about it. So it was out there at Phelps Field. That was a small civilian field. So I went out there, and I started flying, and my instructor was a master sergeant in the Air Force then. And during World War II, he was a captain that flew P-51s. But he got bumped back then when they started cutting out the military. And so I worked my way up and got enough time for my commercial license. And once I got out, I went and got a local airport in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and got my time in and went for my commercial and passed it. And then I went down to Marigold, Mississippi for a crop dusting school. So I went down there and and I flew the, uh, this guy was, uh, 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 well, I can't think of his name right now, but it was a crop dusting school and, and Mary Gold, and he was, he ran a, during World War II, uh, he uh, ran a uh, primary school for the, for the, for the Air Force. And so we had several students in that. He would chew us out. He had this German guy that was instructing. And he really rang us through, and he'd have us flying underneath a rope that it was on a, some kind of like a fishing pole up, except that we had take turns of flying underneath that. And then we flew underneath some real ropes. And then he put a little sock over the the pitot tube indicated on the stearmans he had down there. And so when he put the socks over the stearmans, and he said, if you can't fly by the feel of that airplane, he said, you don't belong as a crop duster. He said, you don't have time to look at your airspeed. And so it was a very intensive, very, and then I finished school, and I really didn't get a, by that time, it was, and I said, well, now I'd better go ahead and and get me a good instrument rating, the best instrument school that I can get. So I borrowed the money along with my parents 
uh, mortgage their farm and went to American Flyers and got my instrument ready. And that was very, very intensive. And as a matter of fact, they would instruct you in the uh, uh, Morse code and everything, very thorough. Uh, and Reed Pigman was the uh, only American Flyers and went through that, went to Mary Gaffin School with this friend of mine down there, and we drove down there and went to Mary Gaffin School and got out, and then I came back to North Carolina, put my head in Trader Plains, and this guy from Eastern North Carolina, I got hired on there at Tom Stansel's uh, school. It ran at uh, Little, they call it Little Washington in North Carolina, Eastern North Carolina. It was just uh, not too awful far from uh, Cherry Point. But then I flew for Easton there for about, I mean, I flew for Tom uh, Stansel there for about, oh, I guess a little less than a year. And then uh, I saw an ad in the paper, and my mother said, hey, Easton's advertising, so I went through Raleigh and on the bus to make a connection to it. And I said, I can just walk down there and check and see. I said, I'm ready to leave and go down to Miami where I can get more time and build my time up quicker. I said, they can't be serious about hiring me with the hours that I have. So I went, uh, put in, went by, and then the guy said, well, we got some tests here to give you. Do you meet those qualifications? I told him, well, I don't know about the flight engineers. I said, I do have a, uh, experience on the, as an aircraft mechanic on the B-52. And I think I had about uh, a little less than three years experience on it. And he said, okay, he said, we got some tests. I said, I don't have time to test. I got to I gotta be at work. And everything. he said, oh, that's okay. We'll just send you a ticket. And then you'll have to go down to Miami. And I said, oh, okay. I said, well, good. I, I said, I'll get me a free trick ticket down there and I'll and I'll uh, go ahead and uh, and look for me a job while I'm down there. So anyway, so and the final uh, interview was Joe Gimmel and and he said, Bill, why do you want to come work for Easton? I said, Well they have a good uh, retirement and on and on and on. And he got to laugh. He said, Bill, you don't have a gray hair in your head, and you're concerned about retirement. And I said, well, it's coming one of these. He said, okay. He said, Bill, we'll have you in one of the January classes if you pass that physical. Are you five foot eight? And I told him, yeah, I'm right at five foot eight. And so they hired He And so anyway, I went for a physical, and uh, – uh, about, uh, it was November, I think it was December, Went uh, November, I think it was, went for a physical, and and I said, I am five foot eight, and, and he said, yeah, and next door, there was this guy, and I could tell he was, he was kind of ticked off, and he said, 
and he said, I don't, uh, he said, still, yeah. uh, and he got turned on, he got, he got turned down by Eastern, he, the guy said, you're not five foot eight, and he said, he said, I can't, I can't give you a passing grade, the examiner, and I said, and and he had a lot of good experience ahead of time. He had been laid off by, I think, North Central, uh, some airline like that. And so anyway, uh, and then I started in January of the classes. And one of my, one of my, my uh, uh, classmates and one of the guys in training was John Kennedy. And later on, uh, I got, I ran across, he was my training uh, partner down in New Orleans. And and so down there in the, the training, we, uh, he said he had a, uh, an application, uh, an interview with Delta, and said, said, man, Delta is not, is not the ongoing airline. Eastern is the way to go. So he said, I used that free pass for the interview with Delta. He said, I didn't show up for the interview. I used the pass to get me a free ride to Atlanta from Miami. So anyway, he was in the Navy, and he flown the convoys in the Navy. And so I, I, I was pretty lucky, I think, to end up with what I was. I was got I started with Eastern and fairly fairly young age and I was twenty five and I did that after attending college for two years and uh, and built up my and from the time I got out of the Air Force till the time that I got hired with Eastern was two years. So what what year did you year. what year did you start? Uh, in January of nineteen sixty four. Yeah. Okay. I think it was January the tenth. Yeah. And shortly after that they phased the Converse out and uh, of course the Martins were phased out before that. And um but uh anyhow it was uh it was a great airline to work for and uh, all of us have stories of how we got got on with Eastern, and uh, I've told mine several times and don't want to tell it again, but uh, I like to hear stories like yours. Uh, things uh, just happen, and it, it's a lot of fate that has everything to do with it, I guess. And uh, But at any rate, uh, I, too, was a, got my mechanics license at, in high school, my EMP and and I went out to California to try to find a job. Couldn't find a job, so I said, "The heck with it. I think I'll learn to fly." Came back to Miami, and and the rest is uh, history. But uh, I think those guys that when we got the contract with Eastern, I had uh, been with Mary Gaffney when we got the contract to train all the national flight engineers because of the new regulation that. All flight deck crew members had to have a pilot's license or certificate. So Mary Gaffney got 
a a contract to train the first I think it was 25 first 25 of the engineers with a national as a matter of fact uh, Earl Howe one of the national he was a chief flight engineer for National Airlines a uh, good friend of mine at Mary Gaffney's and first time I ever flew in a commercial jet was with Earl uh, and uh, Skeeter uh, uh, oh Skeeter I can't think of Skeeter's last name but he had a brother with Eastern and I'm trying to think of it but at any rate a DC-8 I went up on a training flight with uh, with Earl he was checking out an engineer at the panel and he invited me to uh, come along with him and it was of course it was around midnight that we did the training and it was the first time I'd ever been in a commercial jet and um but uh, when I went over with Tercer as a chief flight instructor, uh, Eastern was was putting out bids to train the Eastern flight engineers coming back. And so I told Terso, I said, I think I know how to do this. So we put together a program. We didn't have the first airplane for training purposes. Put together a program and took it down and presented it to uh, – to uh, Mr. Uh, oh, he was the lead attorney for Eastern. I can't think of his name there on 36th Street. It'll come to me after I hang up. But at any rate, we got the contract to do the first initial training of the Eastern flight engineers. And Tom Lott, bless his heart, was a cousin of O.B. Bivens, Captain Bivens. And Tom, during our training used to call Tom and, and ask where my application was on his desk. And OB would tell him, Tom, I can't do anything right now. Neil doesn't have his flight engineer. So with that in mind, I decided uh, right after Christmas to go out to California with Alaska, I mean, uh, Seattle, Washington, Alaska Airlines. And Gene Rosenthal and myself, both went out there because he was one of my flight instructors and a dentist, my personal dentist too. He had a dental practice over there on Brickell Avenue. And uh, we went out to Seattle and got our flight engineer written out of the way. And while I was out there getting ready to start the flight portion of it on the Connie, the Constellation 1649, OB called, asked to speak to me, got on the phone there and in Alaska Airlines office and he says Neil you got your written I said yes sir just passed it he said come on home you got a job and so I said well Gene Rosenthal's out here with me and he said tell Gene to come on with you he said we'll have a pass for both of you from Chicago to Miami can't get you from Seattle to Chicago but uh, we can get you on a pass from Chicago to Miami and the rest is history. Well, I bet you know what an oscilloscope is. Oh, God, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's a, it's a funny thing. Ignition analyzers and all that stuff, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, they started us out on the uh, convey. I started on the convey. And then uh, they said, well, you're going to have to pull it. Two of duty as a we're still on the probation. You got to pull a two of duty on the uh, as an engineer. So 
So they oh sent us to the electric school. Uh-huh. And the written test for the FAA, most of it was on the reciprocating engine. The spark plugs, yeah. Very, <laughs> yeah, very little on the jet or turboprops, practically none on the turboprops. Yeah. And so it, we had to learn how to, to read the read the uh, ignition analyzer. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, those were good training days and my mechanical uh, learning at uh, the school I went to in Miami was Tech High School and they had an aviation program and high school. So I got my diploma and uh, I got uh, the practical experience, the educational experience to take my written exams for the A&P we call them A and E back in those days, aircraft and engines. And uh, my best friend in high school, Larry Sapp, and I went through the program, and he got a job with Airlift as a flight engineer. And uh, and then eventually, Airlift, of course, folded, and Larry uh, came over with Eastern as a mechanic. So um Larry Larry was on the show when we first started the show and we were reliving some of the days in high school when uh, Larry and I were in high school taking the A&E course at Tech High School. Well, listen, I'm going to shut it down now and uh and uh, it's been great talking with you, Bill. And Well, you have you sound like you got a good foundation down there in Miami. You had some excellent schools. Yeah, they did. And it became George Baker School of Aviation after uh, it went, moved out to the airport. Matter of fact, one of the flight, in, flight attendants' father was Bill Smith. Bill Smith was the head of the uh, aviation training at Tech High School when it moved out to the old National Hangar uh, there on Lejeune Road. And you remember the National Airplanes had to taxi across Lejeune Road and they put a railroad gate there when stopped the traffic to get the National Airplanes over to the hangar. But then yeah. National, built, National built their hangar and, and then George, I mean, Central High School, uh, uh, the aviation department moved over there and uh, the a year after I graduated, and it became the George T. Baker School of Aviation. Of course, oh, Baker that's was amazing. Yeah, good stories. Well, listen, Bill, I'm going to sign off right now with uh, Merrill Haggard, and uh, we had an interesting conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I always like to hear how people got lucky and came with Eastern Airlines because to this day, I still say it. It was the greatest airline that was ever in the air. It sure did. I agree. I enjoyed it as well. Yes, sir. Thanks a lot. And here's Merle Haggard. And I'll hope to hear from you next week. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Fading out of sight Slowly fading 